on the Empire Podcast this week. Now it's time for Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Now it's time for Halloween Empire Podcast. And to celebrate, we'll be joined in the pod booth by the boy who lived and then went on to make like really interesting choices as an actor and who's no longer defined by Harry Potter, Mr. Daniel Radcliffe, who's here to talk his scary film horns. And the legendary Laura Dern stops poking around in dinosaur poo long enough to drop by as well. All that and much, much more on the only movie podcast that will not sanction your buffoonery. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. That was a long intro, wasn't it? Uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week's three colleagues of such lethal cunning are all rather unnervingly dressed in their Halloween costumes. A for effort, certainly. First up is our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, who's come dressed rather ambitiously as season six of Supernatural. Helen, what's that about? Take the listeners through your costume, please. <laughs> well. Because I wasn't prepared to Wikipedia. <laughs> Obviously, I've come actually dressed as my favourite episode from the season, which is called The French Mistake. Uh-huh. It is one of the great TV episodes of all time. Okay, um, I'll take your I word have for that. come as, as Dean Winchester, dressed as Jensen Ackles, dressed as Dean Winchester. Um, it, it's a multi layered costume. Next up is our art house guru, Phil Dissemblian who shocked a life out of me by coming dressed as Death from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which is such a commercial film for you to embrace. Oh, no, no, wait, it's Death from The Seventh Seal, isn't it? It's actually not. It's just what I look like in the morning. (laughs) And last but not least is our film fact fiend, Ali Plum. He's come dressed as Quiz Kid Donny Smith. He's got so much love to give. (laughs) He's just put his fingers over his eyes. How are you, Ali? You good? I'm sick and I'm in love. Okay. <laughs> I mean, commiserations on the first, congratulations on the second. They're the same thing, though, of course. So. Yeah, that's true. They are. Anyway, welcome all. I'm so glad you made it. This week, uh, we asked you to send in questions relating to scary films because it's Halloween today. If you're not listening to this on Friday, the 31st of October, then, well, sorry. But anyway, it is Halloween today, and you obliged. The questions came in in their singles. Uh, here are the best ones. This one is from at Cam226MC, who says, I imagine this will be a horror movie character, but what is the greatest movie character who never speaks? Dun, 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 dun. First things first. <clears throat> That's rule out people. Okay. Yeah. That's rule out aliens. Okay. Like the alien from Alien. Right. Because things that can't speak, things yeah. that can just hiss and stuff. Let's rule out silent movie stars, okay? Well, darn. And let's rule out uh, people like Harpo Marx, who could speak but just chose not to because he was, you know, probably a serial killer. But wait, that Lurking. rules out all people who can't speak mostly. All right, it? you've got me. Let's, let's put Harpo Marx back in the table. <laughs> He's back in the table. So all can right. I choose Harpo Marx and yes. save me thinking of something else? No, I'm kidding. Uh, can, I, can I choose Toothless? Of course you can choose Toothless. This can no wait wait no he's not an alien can't but speak can't speak, speak. can't speak how do you know he can't speak maybe no, he the, just chooses to, not to okay my knowledge of the How to Train Your Dragon oeuvre is not the the strongest I, I will admit but do any of the other dragons speak at any point um Sean Connery does in Dragonheart did you not attend our How to Train Your Dragon Mythos seminar <laughs> and what happens when there's no more dragons left no I didn't. Well, I guess Schmau can speak, so dragons potentially have the vocal capacity. Oh, you see. Maybe he chooses not to exercise it. Yeah. Maybe okay. <laughs> he's just a rebellious little dragon. Who knows? All right. On a technicality. Thanks. I will allow Toothless on the grounds that he may be related to Schmaug. Okay. I'm allowing that one. Okay. Thanks. Okay, is that it? That's all you got? Dumbo, maybe? Dumbo. Okay. Could Dumbo speak? He didn't. Did he have the, the facility to speak? Could he, you know? I honestly don't remember if his mum spoke. That's the only thing that's given ne- me pause. Neither spoke. 
Neither spoke. Yeah, but all the other animals speak, so why can't elephants speak? That doesn't make any sense. Elephants are famously intelligent. Okay. What about Richard Keel's jaws? Did he speak? He spoke. Did he? He says, well, here's to us right at the end. Oh, uh, that's right at the end of Moonraker. Yeah. That doesn't count. Odd job does count it's if like, you exclude the ah, ah, he makes. But he doesn't speak. Mm. And uh, Hans, a Blofeld. Mm. Assistant. Mm. Also doesn't speak. Okay. There's a grand tradition of, of Bond baddies, Bond henchmen, either not speaking or not saying very much and, you know, basically die Mr. Bond. Which is just reflex for them. Mm. I don't even know that they, <laughs> if they know that they're speaking English at that point. It's just die, Mister Bond. But Means yeah, the Mister Bond. The Mister Bond. Yes. Uh, no, no, no man who speaks German could ever be ever be evil. Jaws is a good one, but then he rules himself out at the end of Moonraker. Basically, is Cam here looking for the likes of Mike Myers? Uh, well, Mike Myers speaks a lot. Um, Michael Myers doesn't. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. We're just friendly. Yes. We're on. We're on. You know. <laughs> He calls me Hen. I call him Mike. Yeah, the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees hmm. never speaks. Michael Myers never speaks. Leatherface never speaks. There's a there's a there's a subsection of of horror bad guys who are very chatty, chatty Cathy, so hmm. just can't stop. Freddy Krueger, uh, Pinhead. But there's also a subsection of horror bad guys who don't say a word, and they're more unnerving for it. The Creeper in Jeepers Creepers doesn't speak across both films. That's true. And I kind of wish I had been a third film because I do quite like those films. Uh, and you could argue that John Carpenter's The Thing doesn't speak on a technicality. When it's in its its natural state, it doesn't speak. But when it's pretended to be other humans, it does speak. But does it know that it's The Thing speaking at that point or does it think it's a human speaking? Wow, you've just blown my mind. There you go. As we discussed last week, our Empire... Online Monster Week is in full swing now, and today's, mm-hmm. yesterday's, is uh, the Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, and I, I spoke to Doug Jones for that uh, on the telephone, and um, I think that's a good one. Yeah. Although we don't know if he can speak, do we? Or whether he chooses not to, or he's just woken up and he's a bit croaky like me. <laughs> um, I don't know. But yeah, he, him. He doesn't speak. Doesn't speak. Doesn't speak. Very, very scary character as well. And uh, yeah, in a weird way, the one we're doing today, you'll be reading today, I interviewed uh, Howard Sherman, a.k.a. Sherman Howard, who plays Bub in Day of the Dead, the greatest zombie performance in the history of cinema, one of the greatest performances in horror films, in fact. Lovely guy as well. He does speak, mm-hmm. which is interesting. He says the words, hello, Aunt Alicia, but otherwise, you know, like okay. all the movie zombies, most of the movie zombies, he doesn't speak. What about uh, Predator? Would you put Predator on this list? No, Predator speaks. He says, um, you are an ugly motherfucker. Yeah, he says, what the hell are you? He, he parrots back, what the hell are you? And he laughs like Sonny Landon. That's interesting. There's also a couple of uh, other movie hitmen who've sprung to mind. Steve Buscemi and things to do in Denver when you're dead plays a character called Mr. Shush and doesn't speak in that in that movie. It's very interesting. It's very rare you get characters who don't really speak in movies. Most tend to rattle off at least even one line at the at the, at the end. Mm. But we're talking about movie. Un- I guess because it's Halloween, unsettling movie characters who don't really speak. Robert Duvall's priest in um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and uh, the Magic Carpet from Aladdin doesn't speak. Freaky. You're unsettled by a rug. That flies? Yeah. Jesus, yes. It doesn't get more unsettling than that. Yeah, moves about with its own accord. What's that about, honestly? It swings its tassels. Ooh. I want to finally mention Half-Life, Gordon Freeman. Not film, but he's very good. Non-speaker. 
Anyway, as you were, carry okay, on. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Film podcast, carry on. Next question is from At The Life Of Rose, who says, uh, very simply, hashtag sorry not sorry, what's your favourite scary movie? Oh, if mm. only we had somebody here called Sydney who could answer that. Indeed. Aladdin, obviously, for me. <laughs> <laughs> 28 Days Later is one that I, I keep having slight nightmare flashbacks to sometimes in London when it's empty. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit scary. It's a hard one because on one hand, what, is it asking what the scariest movie is or what is your favourite that you would actually go back and watch most even though it's scary? If it was the latter, it might be Aliens for me, which I do find really scary. I know it's more of an action thing than, than Alien, um, but it's also so entertaining that I will go back and watch that quite frequently. Um, and then it's... So I don't tend to go back and watch the truly bone-chillingly terrifying ones because they're too bone-chillingly terrifying mm-hmm. and I tend to watch them once and and then, you know, run away and hide from them. Um, so it's only the moderately terrifying and yet also having some humour or whatever that I would watch repeatedly. Yes, yes. Phil? Well, I'm a massive scaredy cat, so I try not to watch things that are going to make me quail in terror. So you mustn't watch many Spurs games then, eh? Come on, on, football joke. Pretty good. Good. No, because they're predictably terrible, whereas horror (laughs) films come at you in weird ways, and I think that's why... I don't know, I'm just very easily scared. The the woman in black last... Was that last year or the year before? That petrified Mm. me. That was scary. I was was pinned to my seat at the end of the film, and in the row in front, this... 16 year old kid got up and yawned loudly and walked out looking completely nonplussed well I think I might have mentioned this <laughs> okay, I enough. might have mentioned this previously but I had I watched a lot of horror films when I was quite young and I think maybe since that moment I've been scarred by them and now I try and avoid them if possible although I you know I watched them for my job The Conjuring scared me a bit um, a Blair Witch really frightens me mm. but what, you know, for, okay let's maybe rephrase this question a slightly bit uh, it's Halloween night you got mates around. You put on a, a movie. What's the one you would go to? Wild Strawberries. <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. The scary movie you would go to. It's scary. It's about mortality and tough stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Could not have been a more filled this in the answer. Hey, Plumbus, what would you do? I'd put on the first one. The first Wild Strawberries? Uh, the first scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. That's the best answer. That's a yeah. good answer. I want to know what a reader's scariest movies are. Yeah. I'd really love to know what what scares them. Absolutely. I think maybe I'm unusual. Maybe Helen and I are the big scaredy cats <laughs> and everyone else is like Kim Newman and totally, you know, non-phased. I, I want to know if Kim gets frightened during these movies. Get, you get five stars he frightens the movies, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, does does Kim Newman still jump at jump scares? I think he's he's not here, out. is he here? Can we communicate with him via Ouija board or something? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Okay, interesting. Uh, my favourite scary movie, yes, The Evil Dead 2, yes, Event Horizon. But, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of John Carpenter's thing. But also, yes. I'm going to mention Prince of Darkness. It's a film that maybe people might not have seen. I might not have talked about that much in the podcast. John Carpenter's last truly great film, 1987 movie. Go and check it out. Made it the same year as he made Lay Live. Uh, fantastic film. It's a siege movie as well. I'm a sucker for those. It's a, uh, But it's also probably the first horror movie to involve quantum mechanics. Uh, in in its plot, which is very interesting, uh, Carpenter. And more on that next week. More on we that next week. And when we come back to our Interstellar spoiler podcast, when these guys will be teaching me quantum physics because <laughs> I don't understand it. Uh, but basically, Prince of Darkness is a fantastic film. It's about a group of research scientists who go to a, a disused 
church was well, not disused. They go to an old church. In it is a file of green liquid, which has been kept by this sect of uh, priests for centuries, and it turns out to be uh, Satan himself in liquid form. And he begins to uh, escape from the file and basically take them over one at a time. But it's all about the end of the world. It's part of uh, Carpenter's um, Armageddon Apocalypse trilogy, which also includes The Thing and In the Mouth of Madness. It's fantastic, really creepy, lovely feeling of dread all the way through. A good performance of Donald Pleasance as, uh, as an old priest. It's just very, very scary. Go and check it out. Does it get rather violent at the end? It does. And it also has a good... Was that a joke I, I missed? Sorry. Vile and... Vile? Oh, you're so... You're, you're it's good, isn't he? Cooking the gas today. Please do uh, buy a ticket for water fucking buffoons. Yeah. The, the, uh, are we renaming it now? Are we uh, yeah, just this week. Just this week. Okay. Go and check it out. It also includes a great wordless uh, creepy performance from Alice Cooper, who plays a homeless guy who kills people with a bike. Uh, so go and check that one out if you can. Just to, just to go back to this, psychological horrors, they're mm. the ones that really, because what you were saying about like as you get Spider. older and you experience things in life, yeah. et cetera, et cetera that, that sort of stuff. I haven't seen The Babadook, but from what you guys mm. were saying last week, sounds like the sort of film that benefit from a bit of life experience because it's tapping into certain things. But psychological horrors, like the film that keeps coming up on this podcast, The Vanishing, that sort of thing, or, yeah. you know, Shutter Island, those sort of B-movies that Shutter Island taps into, um, the sense of being trapped... What was the film with Ryan Reynolds where he's in? Yeah, notebook. The Notebook. Exactly. <laughs> That's Ryan Gosling. That's Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, like, like I said. <laughs> uh, you're thinking of Buried. I am thinking of Buried, but now I'm thinking about The Notebook. Most Ryan. Reynolds. Also terrifying. Yeah, most Ryan Reynolds movies are scary. The Green Lantern. Am I right? <laughs> am I right? <laughs> Let's move on to high five. Uh, you're right today. You're, you're, you're being very, you know, satirical. I think he's warming up for Nightcrawler. I've got a demon in my belly. Uh, basically, Ali has shoved a balloon up his jumper because it's Halloween, I guess. That's that's something. Do you not get the movie I'm pretending to be? Rosemary's Baby. Baby. There we go. See, that's a scary movie. That is a that scary, is movie. scary movie. That, that uh, shot at the end, when she goes to the... Uh, she sees her, her baby for the first time. And there's a shot at the end where Polanski... Uh, superimposes the the child's eyes. You know, he has his father's eyes. That line, and he super she he superimposes the child's eyes on top of the screen, so they just appear at the top of the image. That is probably the freakiest image I can recall. Whoa. It freaks me out every time I watch that film. I, I and uh, Bill Hicks years ago, the great Bill Hicks did a comedy special. Can't remember which one. I think it might have been Revelations. Anyway, people will know and they'll, they'll write in to tell me. And there's a point in that where he just does the same thing. He superimposes these lizard devil eyes at the top of the screen during, you know, a comedy show. And I couldn't <laughs> freak out. I couldn't watch it anymore. It's just, yeah, absolutely. It scared the crap out of me. So that stayed with me for a long, long time, which I think leads seamlessly on to the next question from At Revolutionary, who says, what are the best jump scares? Uh-huh. Spielberg does lots of these, doesn't he? Doesn't he? They're quite good. Yeah, I like I like Samuel Jackson and his arm. That's good. Yeah, I like that one. Oh, the head and jaws is actually yeah. You're yeah, right. It's one, one. It's one of the best ones ever. And Raiders um, is full of it. Yeah, the head and jaws. It's just that slight pause before the head pops out. Um, apparently, he he did like nine different edits of that scene, and and went with the one that freaked out the sound guys most, and that was the one. Um, and it really really works. Yeah. Um, ben Gardner's head, not the head, Ben Gardner's head, not yeah, the head not, attached to someone's not, body. No. Okay. Um, I would also mention uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, actually when Bilbo, mm. his face changes and he suddenly lunges. 
that is utterly terrifying all the more so because it comes out of absolutely nowhere at that point um, and that is that's probably my pick that just even now when I watch it makes me slightly jump as do bits of Jurassic Park mm. my my pick pick would be um, is it Sloth in 7 when the guy mm. on the bed oh God. comes back uh, yeah that is yeah 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 what jump scare gets you second time around does that anything one. get you a second round? Yeah, all of them. So yeah. when Sean shuts the mirror in uh, Shaun of the Dead, and there's Peter Serafinowicz behind. Anytime you shut a mirror to find a naked Sir Peter Serafinowicz just behind you, it, it does I, terrify you. I do think I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jump scares when used badly can just be awful, and it's, it's so much fun then when you see a film like Drag Me to Hell, where it's a mm. master, Sam Raimi, just mm. just orchestrating it beautifully it's like music when a yeah. good jump scare is like music you know you just you can, you can sense it's coming you know it's coming but when it's done just right with the right blend of of of, uh, of, of sound and something appearing something in the image it, it can just it not only does it scare you but it's it could be really really funny as well just yeah. really really cathartic I feel like people have forgotten about Drag Me to Hell and if you haven't seen it that, sh- that should be your Halloween movie that is bloody wonderful alright Double Bill Drag yeah. Me to Hell okay. and Prince of Darkness Ooh, there you go. That's my recommendation for you guys. Prince of Darkness is the one with the Satan smoothie. It's the one with the Satan smoothie. It's you know, if you, you know, green liquid should not be should not be scary uh, by itself, and it probably won't be. People will probably watch it and go, "What are you talking about? You're an idiot!" But no, trust me, it's it's really cool. Great feel, score as well. Surely your answer, Phil, is Psycho. There is a jumpy scare with the mum. Yes, there is. Yes, there. Mum's the word. Psycho is pretty scary. You're right to ask about the second time around though, because I I start to tense up when you get towards those moments in the movie like the Ben Gardner bit just like I yeah mm. sort of dread it so it does change the film a bit for you when mm. you know it's coming if you're a big scaredy cat uh, okay other great jump scares there's one great jump scare we haven't really discussed which is the Exorcist 3 I think we've done something on this on the website but there's a fantastic shot of a, of a hospital corridor and you think everything's absolutely fine and people are going about their business and then suddenly a man with <laughs> basically a massive pair of garden shears appears out of nowhere and tries to cut off uh, and succeeds in cutting off a nurse's head very good jump scare I understand William Peter Blatty sorry to interrupt I understand that there's a scary one in Insidious I haven't seen that there are many scary ones in Insidious Uh, James Wan I think he's really good at it Insidious Chapter 2 I loved it I absolutely loved it gave it a big four star review for the magazine I I was laughing my head off at that one because again like like Sam Raimi he's a guy he's got an innate sense of timing but also an innate sense of ridiculousness and Neil Marshall's very good at it as well there's an amazing one in The the Descent when they reveal the the crawlers for the first time on the on the infrared camera that they've got and they're watching the back and they realise that you know there's one right behind them that's that's a very very good jump scare there's loads obviously do send us in your favourites uh, and if you want to send us in anything else you know cakes buns money it's all good by us uh, we're on Twitter at Empire Magazine we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine please use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it uh, and you can email us podcast at Empire Empire Online dot com uh, so there you go and then you can get your question read out on the Empire Podcast time now for first guest let's have some Daniel Radcliffe now shall we his post Potter tour continues this week with horns based on Joe's son of Stephen King Hill's excellent book and he dropped by the booth recently to talk about that and all manner of stuff he didn't rap though he didn't do that alphabet rap thing that he did in Jimmy Fallon this week and for that I'm placing the blame squarely on Ollie Richards who did us a solid this week by talking to him enjoy so today on the Empire Podcast we have Daniel Radcliffe star of Horns hello hello thank you very much for having me thank you very much for being here Um, so 
in this uh, this story, obviously it's based on a book by Joe Hill, but what point was it in the story that you knew this was for you? It was fairly early on, actually, just because I found the the first third of the script so funny and I I found it it, it did something which very few films do which it, it had this spectacular event happening where you know the horns grow but normally in films stuff like that happens and then everyone just reacts to it like you know this was one of my problems with the, the new Godzilla movie was that Brian Cranston was the only person who was like oh my god it's Godzilla and everyone yeah. else was just like huh and kind of looking at it and, and I feel the same oftentimes in films people react in an unnatural way because it's a film that they're just accepting of certain things and you wouldn't be accepting if horns suddenly appeared on your head you would go through a million ideas of like what the hell is this and you know he thinks is it is it is it like are they tumors are they what what are they and uh, so you know i I, it was very very early on when when the sort of um confessions started coming out of people i think it was probably the sequence there's this one sequence in the hospital when i first go in and that was i was just completely in awe of it when I read it I was like that is so funny and interesting and original and that was the thing that about the whole script was that you know people have been coming in doing interviews and saying things like it's very hard to to pin down this film I was like well good Mm. that's great you know can do lots of different things and be lots of different things at the same time and and this one is you know it's really the first third is like some kind of UNESCO absurdist comedy and then the middle part is this great love story really and, and is I think one of the most beautiful depictions of of sort of young love and that teenage relationship that everyone says won't work but then does and blossoms into something amazing and then at the end it obviously is this horror revenge thriller well i mean it has slasher kind of elements throughout but um but yeah i just i i love that it refused to be pinned down and as you said you say it's difficult to pin down you quite like a weird movie don't you (laughs) I mean, I guess, but I never, I don't pick them as being like, is this weird enough for me? I'm not sure. I, 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 I just see it as like, this is so good and original and different. Um, so maybe I have got just odd taste. But I also think there's something about the fact that, you know, at this moment in my life and in my career, I'm being offered interesting, different movies and, and I have the chance to make them and my, I might not always have that chance. So like, while I have the opportunity to make some kind of bold choices, it feels like I, I should. Do things mostly come to you, or do you pursue things as well? Um, both, very much both. Um, uh, Kill Your Darlings came came to us um, because John, the director, saw me in, in Equus, um, and th- uh, this you know Horns movie was something that I think my one of my agents read the script and sent it to me, and then we pursued it like rabidly because I also knew when I first met Alex, I I'd sort of been told that he was thinking of somebody a bit older for the part, sort of, sort of somebody in their late 20s. And so like, we sat down, and the first thing I said to him was, I know you're thinking I'm too young for this, and I and like, let me, give me the next hour to tell you why you're wrong. It was fantastic. It was, you know, working with Alex was absolutely one of the, one of the highlights of this film. He, he is an amazing director. Does, um, is people thinking you're too young for things, something that happens fairly often? Because I think a lot of people, sort of, because they're so used to you, seeing you as a kid, People forget you're now in your mid-twenties. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been very lucky, though, I have to say, in terms of... um, I haven't been offered a lot of really teeny parts. Like, even uh, Allen Ginsberg was, like, the last teenager I played, and that was not, like, a high school story. (laughs) So it was... um, So, yeah, I I have been quite lucky so far. 
in terms of the stuff I've been casting, it's all been very, I feel like, age appropriate. But yeah, like I'm sure I'm, I'm I, I, I don't, I know it shocks people. That's the thing. I'm, I'm now, for anyone about the age of sort of like 27 to their mid 30s, I am just a horrible yardstick for how old you are now. And you look at me and go, oh my god, I first saw his face when he was 10. And you know, so it's I, I get a lot of reactions from, particularly actually from journalists who've interviewed, interviewed me for like 10 years who come in and go, oh my god, I must be you know pensionable now yeah my first interview when you were 15 was really it was empire's 15th birthday which coincided was with my birthday yeah i was gonna say with the, the the guitar and me writing on the walls and i actually play guitar now I've, really? i have since i'm started just started learning about a few months ago and i love it uh, but but yeah i was that was very cool you just let me write on the walls if i remember rightly i, I believe i think, I, I, think did, I wrote yeah. i think i wrote some old jamie reed punk slogans on the walls yeah the guitar so what made you pick that up I, like everything in my life it was for a film um it was for um, I, there was a character i had to play in a movie um which has been postponed um like all the movies like all the cool movies i wanted to um that's the thing i found out recently in, in like the last year like how hard it can be to get independent films made and and most of the scripts that i'm into are with independent films because you know in the studio system there's there are a lot, obviously a lot of good things but they generally come out of you know, people like Chris Nolan or I don't know, um, might be a bad example, but like the Coens or somebody like that who, who, who all have so much or, you know, power over what they put out. But a lot of the times in, in the studio system, from the development of script to stuff that's decided on set, you know, those decisions have to go by a lot of people. And so when you're getting some, when, when the end result is something that 20 people agreed on rather than one person's vision, it is generally going to be a little less special. So, I, you know, a lot of the films I want to do are sort of indies, and uh, it's hard, man. It's very, it's hard to convince people to give you money to make a film. But yeah, so it, it, was, it was for uh, College Republicans, um, which could still happen, but was not, just not in the time slot that we were hoping for. Um, but yeah, so if, if nothing else comes out of it, I have a guitar, and I'm not terrible, so that's good. Excellent. Well, something came from Yeah, that, exactly. I mean, that's all my roles I have to learn something for, which is kind of great. Like a, a role in Tokyo Vice, which is something coming up. Hopefully, I'm learning a bit of Japanese, and, and yeah. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> What's the most useful thing that you've learned? What's co- in Japanese? Uh, oh, uh, just in general. Yeah. Um, probably like learning to dance for um, for a musical, which just just having a little more physicality and more confidence in your body and what you can do with your body um, was something that helped me a lot because I didn't feel like I was very sort of I know it was a weird thing to say, but like in your body and you know sort of. Um, connected to your own physicality and i have since become uh more like that so i definitely think that's helped but um but yeah i i think guitar could outdo that if i ever get good enough to like play a song in front of people i'll be that will have immediately eclipsed any other skills i've learned give it a year maybe i think so actually yeah i mean i'm really i expect it to be so bad and it's it's not and it's also the good thing about it is that practice doesn't feel like practice because it's fun like you're still making a good sound so you can kind of just you know tinker around with it and it still be um and it, it you don't sound like you're just strangling a cat so what are you playing then? Unfortunately, we don't have a guitar here with us. Oh, well, that's, no, that's I, great. If I were to give you a guitar right now, what would you play? Um, I would probably play the the, fir- like the chords of uh, Need Your Love So Bad by Fleetwood Mac. Off, um, off their, it's off like early Fleetwood Mac. I think, it is it off Albatross? It might be, I'm not sure. But so that, or I can like I can murder the uh, the opening riff from Back in Black. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, do, and I do mean murder it. It does not sound good, but the chords are all there. Um, I'm making the right shapes with my hand. 
hand. As long as you're all in the right order, then <laughs> yeah. it can only get better. Um, like you said, you tend to go for um, independent movies. Well, I mean, Frankenstein was the last one, okay, because I mean, sure. that's Fox. Um, that was definitely, I had read that script, and I was really impressed by how original it was and how it, you know, took something and which I know it sounds silly to say when you're doing a Frankenstein movie it's say it's original but it really is it's a real adventure kind of fun movie but at the same time it has a lot of heart and and is 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 smart in terms of the ideas it's discussing and and I think those are kind of you know that's a rare combination in a in a huge movie like that I, I hope so I think it's good it's a real it's a it's hot it's an adventure movie like it's fun it's really good fun and um and you know James is incredible in it and uh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was really excited to do that, and it was exciting to to work on a, you know, like on a big movie again with crane cameras just lying around all the time and huge sets and stuff like that. So that was fun. And you're playing um, Igor to James McAvoy's Frankenstein. Mm. When people think of Igor, you think you know either Marty Feldman or yeah. sort of Peter Laurie thing. But so what? Do you, what have you done to make it your own? He's a, he has obviously got the physicality at the beginning. The story this time round is sort of told sort of through his eyes in terms of his relationship with Victor, um, and I think his he is granted more of a story than we've seen him have before um in terms of how important he is in the relationship with victor and how that it's it is it's not an equal well that's the thing it sort of is an equal partnership where one of them is constantly trying to be dominant to me that's what the film is about that will separate it from other frankenstein movies i think is that the key relationship in most frankenstein movies is between um victor and the monster and in this it's between victor and myself and it's about the the nature of creation in some ways and like you know what does victor in many ways sort of because he gives my character a new life at the beginning of the movie um in many ways he he could be viewed as my creator and so kind of what at what point do you step out of that shadow and become your own person or at what point do you just have to continually pay homage to the person who gave you the life they did um those are kind of some of the i don't know if that answers the question of how I've made him different, but that was definitely the sort of things we were thinking about. Well, it makes it sound like this is more of a the Frankenstein origin story, but not of the monster, but of Frankenstein himself. Well, it sort of is. I mean, I suppose it, it sort of is. I mean, I think the the you know as is fitting in that kind of origin story, the the creation of the monster isn't until right at the end of the movie in this one, whereas it normally comes sort of in the middle. And and there there are there are you sort of see their attempts at creation before the you know the the full, the real thing happens. So yeah, it can be it can be viewed as 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 an origin story, although. I don't, I'm not sure we're like teeing ourselves up for four more movies or anything like that. So it's not the beginning of yeah, the great adventures of uh, Frankenstein. No, you know what? There, there, you know, um, there's probably room for that if if they want to, but I'm not sure that's how I ever envisit. That's when we first read the script. There was, and when I first met James McAvoy, it was the first thing we both said because at that time in the script there was this, there, there was like the most blatant kind of like teeing up the sequel moment at the end and I was like let's just me and James both I was like let's just make one really good movie for now and see how that goes um before we start you know being that presumptuous at the end of a film um so yeah I I, I um I've never been a, a fan of that kind of thing at the end would you potentially sign up for a franchise again having done oh, yeah. one for you know most of your life yeah I would I mean I, th- I think that most franchises you know Harry Potter is remarkable even for franchises um, in that it was it was filmed for 10 years and there were 8 movies and normally you're, you're talking sort of a maximum of 3 probably and and probably you know 5 or 6 years rather than 10 um, and with a lot more time in between them because not most films don't take 11 months to make so you would have like, so that's the thing I would I, I definitely would do another thing but it would it would obviously have to be something that I'm if, we're, if I'm starting off another franchise, it would have to be something that I was in love with. 
totally. And you were talking before about um, films that you've been signed up for that have been delayed. One that seems to have been keep getting delayed is Gold, yeah. in which you play Sebastian Coe. Is that still going to happen? Um, you know, absolutely. Fingers crossed, as much as any of them are. Um, yeah, <laughs> and as much as I can say. You know, you don't know. I, I, I absolutely want to do that film. It's a fan- it's absolutely one of the best scripts I've read. Um, you know, I've done a lot of training. I am ready to keep training. Um, and... It's a fantastic story. So, yeah, I hope it happens. We're, we're sort of looking for a, another director at the moment. And you've got to, so you've got to keep going with the running training yeah. just in case it comes along. Yeah. That's the thing is, though, I, because I, I had a really hard introduction to the running training for my first sort of six weeks of doing it was very intense and sort of four or five times a week. And it, it was a lot. So now that I'm just going on to a kind of maintenance level of running, which is sort of just maybe three times a week and not as far, it, it's 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 easier. And I actually do enjoy running again now. I know when it comes time to train properly, I will hate it again. But for now, it's I'm, I'm enjoying it. Thank God you're uh, playing a short distance runner, not a marathon runner. With that, yeah, I mean that's, a, but that's that's what's fascinating about about Co and Avet and all those guys is that you you think of them as being, you know, markedly slower than hundred meters runners, for example. But hundred meters runner, all right, they can do hundred meters. Some of them in under ten seconds. Co's personal best on the um, fifteen hundred was. I think three minutes and 29 seconds, which breaks down at about 100 meters every like 12 seconds. So that's insane to like keep your middle distance is rubbish. You're sprinting. You're sprinting <laughs> the entire time. And I mean, I can do the thing I've got myself down to like, because we're not going to film a whole race with me as co. So I've what I've managed to do is uh, I figured the, the most we'll ever film in one go is probably like a 400 meter lap. So I've, I've, I've got my 400 meter time down to what a 1500 runner would do 400 meters in, but I can only do it once. They do it three and a half or four and a half times. And I do it like I do it once and fall to my knees. But I mean that's still a lot. I mean, if you've got to do more than one take, yeah, absolutely. But that's but that's that's why I'm training because like I know I will be doing more than one take um, a lot. So it's it's and I want to be able to have Co's running style. But for somebody that has not run all their life and hasn't trained, that's really only achievable for like a maximum of 200 meters before your body fatigues and you start to collapse. And so it's you know I've. But I have got his style down, so I can do it, I think, for like 200 metres at least. In reading other interviews with you and the f- times I've interviewed you, you seem to be someone who gets obsessed with stuff. Yes. You know, be That's it fair. poetry or music or something. There's always something you're really, yeah. really into. What are you currently obsessed with? Fantasy football, NFL, the American football. I've be- I, I, a few years ago, I became um, completely obsessed with that. And now now uh, me and my girlfriend run a league together. Um, and uh, we even we spent like three hours the other night making a trophy out of things found either in my apartment or in a pet shop nearby. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty spectacular trophy, actually. Um, but the yeah, I, I guess that's my latest obsession. And as always, any kind of quiz show is, is sort of regular viewing. So pointless and the chase and all that stuff. It's great. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely I've got a few people who who know Richard Osman, who I know. Um, I'm definitely, it's definitely in my plan, but I, I'm desperate to get on a point to celebrities at one point. I, I, I think they have actually asked and I wasn't available to do it, but it, it, I, I don't know if they have or not, but it's definitely something that I, I, I need to do. And what is your specialist subject? If I got a, if I got a category on poetry or um, the periodic table, I'd be away. Yeah, I do really well on periodic table because I got the whole thing memorised. So I, 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 I know, like, I... If there's ever like one of the questions that's like, uh, you know, name an obscure element beginning with B or like, bismuth, you know, I could, I could, I've, I've got something. Um. 
I was going to try and test you then, but I got nothing. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I win. I would win. I'm, I'm good on the elements. I really, I'm not. I won't say. I won't boast about much, but that I'll say. Brilliant. <laughs> that is all we have time for, Daniel Radcliffe. Thank, thank you, you very, very much, much, man. Cheers, Daniel Radcliffe. There, always a pleasure to have him on the podcast. Uh, uh, time now for movie news. There's no way of getting around this. The big news this week, comic book movie related. It's Marvel related. Marvel's Kevin Feige, and this week on Tuesday in LA, announced the studio's slate up until 2019 that we know of there might be more surprises to come uh, going from Captain America Civil War in May 2016 although April for us we get a week early high five yes UK come on Uh, right up until a two part Avengers Infinity War jamboree that will climax quite literally in 2019 Uh, many of you surprisingly many of you actually were clamouring for a special podcast to just tackle on this, this. Yeah. just on this, they wanted us, you know, uh, I think, to really, really geek out and take as long as we wanted to talk about it. Uh, we're aware that some of you might not want to hear any discussion of Marvel stuff, so skip the next ten minutes, F- 15, five, 20. ten minutes. Let's say twenty. Yeah. Come let's, on, let's say let's say twenty minutes. Let's say half an hour. Skip the next <laughs> half an hour, and if you skip ahead half an hour and it's Laura Dern speaking, then go back a bit because you've missed a bit. Spoiler, spoiler, yes, yeah, spoiler. Laura Dern's coming up as well. Uh, right. Okay, so. A couple of weeks ago, DC announced uh, a lot of movies in a shareholders uh, call. Mm. Uh, they announced, obviously, we talked about this in the podcast in great depth as well, two Justice League movies, an Aquaman movie, a Flash movie, a Wonder Woman movie, uh, a Cyber movie in 2020, another Green Lantern movie in 2020 as well, a reboot, uh, Shazam in 2019 Suicide Squad in 2016 and there's still Batman and Superman movies that are going to be put into that slate at some point whether they're post 2020 probably not they'll probably be put them in 2018 something like that Mm. I'm guessing now there was a lot of discussion about that we talked at the time Helen about how we thought that maybe they were running before they could walk a little bit yeah Uh, you know but also there was people saluting them because they had announced a movie starring uh, a, a, a solo Superhero, um, female-led superhero yep. in Wonder Woman, a movie starring a person of colour in Cyborg in 2020. Ray Fisher is going to play Cyborg in, in that movie as well. And, you know, various other things. And mm-hmm. I said at the time that all they're doing is beating Marvel to an announcement. This week, yep. take us through it. Yes, uh, that is essentially the case. So we're going to have, uh, as we already knew, Captain America is going to be Civil War. It is now officially uh, subtitled Civil War that is uh, Steve Rogers versus Tony Stark in a heck mm-hmm. of a moral conflict so that'll be 2016 as will Doctor Strange Benedict Cumberbatch has been rumoured very strongly this very week as the front runner there but we have no official announcement just yet that will be November 2016 um, so that's still to come 2017 Guardians of the Galaxy 2 will be arriving slightly earlier than advertised in May May 5th um, is currently the, the US date um, and then we have Thor subtitle Ragnarok. Now, if you're a fan of heavy metal or Norse mythology, you will know that that is the Norse Armageddon and that's uh, that promises big, big things. Uh, Loki will return alongside his brother, which is extraordinarily good news for anyone with eyes. Also in 2017, uh, Black Panther will be making his debut. Chadwick Boseman mm-hmm. starring as Black Panther, the ruler of Wakanda uh, and a Marvel stalwart uh, who in the comics has even been married to X-Men Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that will be happening. 2018, another hugely long-awaited and and very much in-demand character in Captain Marvel. It will be the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel, who is, I guess, the sort of quintessential uh, embodiment of that character. Um, that will be coming in July. Um, and uh, in November of that year, 
the Inhumans, which has again been rumoured before. Uh, we've already written a feature on that as sort of an introduction to what the heck the Inhumans are on the website. So check that out if you want to learn more. But that will be coming in November 2018. And we also have a two-part Avengers May 2018, May 2019 Avengers Infinity War and the word Infinity should indeed make you think of Thanos uh, the Mad Titan who we've glimpsed at the end of the first Avengers and also in Guardians of the Galaxy a being who is out to gather the components of the Infinity Gauntlet which will give him very near unlimited power we've already seen some of those components uh, the Tesseract from the first of uh, Captain America and mm-hmm. Avengers films mm-hmm. the Aether in from the Dark World and the Orb from Guardians of the Galaxy are three of the stones he doesn't have any of them at the moment does he? he doesn't he doesn't but he is he's bereft look for him to get those and many more components uh, coming up <laughs> how many way. are there? six uh, six right um, so it is uh, It is pretty exciting. Uh, the, the only quibbles people could come up with were the lack of solo movies for the Hulk, for Hawkeye and for Black Widow. Uh, Feige actually addressed those. He said Black Widow couldn't be more important as an Avenger uh, and like Hulk, the Avengers films will be the films where they play a primary role. Uh, she has a very big role apparently in Age of Ultron which further develops her character and uh, she is a linchpin in fact for the rest of the Avengers saga. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, that's some that's some kind of comfort, I guess, for for Black Widow's fans, but perhaps and, not enough. And uh, you should probably, you know, we might be going into some slight spoiler territory here, but there is speculation, there is rumours, mm. there's scuttlebutt. I won't say which one, but that Hulk will play a major part in another film between now and 2019. One of the films they've just announced, that mm-hmm. he will be a major part of another film. I don't want to say which one, but uh, the offensive age of Ultron. Mainly Banner and Hulk somewhere else. That's, that's <gasps> like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's just scuttlebutt and speculation at this point. But, wild uh, speculation. Wild speculation. But uh, that's that's all very, very cool. Um, do you have any quibbles about that? And we were we were a little harsh maybe on the DC slate. You know, just well, because, you know, yeah. we, we want to make sure that, you know, we're comic book fans. Yeah. I'm a Marvel guy. Yes. But I do want to see good DC films as well. Uh, I just wonder if they might have overestimated. You know, you, you need to get it right. If, they, if there's an appetite for Flash and Aquaman and whatever after Justice League movies, then by all means do them. But if you're sure. announcing things six years ahead of time... Um, and to be honest, know. we said at the time that we preferred Marvel's uh, previous uh, you know, approach, which was not to an- announce all of their ducks at once, uh, to mix metaphors. Um, and, and they have now announced all of their ducks at once. So I, I do kind of, in some ways, regret that in the sense that, you know, I, I do think it's a good idea to do, approach these things incrementally to make mm. sure that each story works before you proceed to the next story, if they are indeed interlinked to any great degree. Um, so, so yes, to an extent, I, I regret the fact that they've announced all of this at once. Mm. I guess with DC having thrown down the gauntlet, Marvel had to throw down an Infinity Gauntlet um, to, to, to match that, uh, perhaps. You know, so, so maybe there was, there was no real kind of option here maybe that maybe this they felt that their hand was forced to announce all of this at once um on the other hand in terms of the actual content let's leave aside the fact that they have announced at all the actual content is promising if i were being mega picky and this is probably mega picky you know it it begins to feel a little bit tokenistic if everybody has one female-led film and one person of color-led film you know i i would i would hope there would be room for maybe two female-led films or two person-of-colour films or, hey, a film starring a female person of colour. Who knows? Um, 
you know, if if you're if you're kind of almost, and, and he isn't saying this, but if you if you if if it is saying, oh, we can't do Black Widow, but here's Captain Marvel. That's not re- that's like saying, oh, we, well, we can't do Batman, but here's Superman. You know, it doesn't really follow. However, mm-hmm. that that is admittedly me being picky and demanding. And you know, if the Inhumans, the casting rumor there was was obviously Vin Diesel mm-hmm. uh, as the lead Black Bolt, so mm-hmm. there may well be much more room for diversity in the casts. Yeah, to come. and maybe. You know, as Kevin Feige said, they're they're developing lots of things at the same time. There's yeah. a Drew Pierce's Runaway script, which is is still stuck in development. He says it's a great script, but we just can't make them all. Mm. We can't make them all. And they're they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to prepare for the point I think when Downey is too old. By the time 2019 comes around, by the time Infinity War Part Two comes around, uh, he'll have been playing Tony Stark for 11 years. He'll Assuming be in his, he's in the Avengers by that point. Assu- what? what even if he's not in the Avengers, I think Tony Stark will be in that film. Okay. Uh, so he'll be he'll been playing Tony Stark for eleven years by that point. He'll be in his fifties. Ruffalo will have been playing Hulk for seven years by that point. He also will be in his fifties when that comes around. Chris Evans uh, will have been playing Cap for eight years. Uh, the, the same with Chris Hemsworth and Thor. Their contracts will be coming to a, to an end. Do they want to renew? Do they want to re-up? And they're doing a, a clever thing, I guess, by seeding these other superheroes, mm. uh, these other new characters, Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel and the Inhumans, which is, uh, for me, the biggest yeah. the biggest leap. But in the same way, the Guardians of the Galaxy was a big leap, and they obviously did did amazing things with that. Um, Feige said that Inhumans uh, is not just... It, it can launch a series of franchises within itself. I wouldn't be so sure about that, but you never know. Inhumans, basically... If, roughly take it through they're a group of super powered beings who live on the moon essentially yeah. if we want to boil it down to its absolute basics that's what it is uh, but there's a there's a feeling that this might be the MCU's way of getting around the fact that there are no mutants in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because of contractual obligations because some Burke years ago sold the rights to the X-Men to Fox and <laughs> presumably got mega fired <laughs> later on although Fox are doing good things with the X-Men Fox are doing so far, very very so good things but they, we're you know, only cross that they can't play together precisely yeah. precisely uh, but I imagine he did get mega mega <laughs> fired you know EMI didn't keep the guy who uh, turned down the Beatles for example mm. uh, I'm guessing uh, so in humans um, there might be a bit of retconning to make people who are mutants in the comics universe like Scarlet Witch and the Quicksilver who we're, who we're going to see in Avengers Age of Ultron in humans. Oh, interesting. There's, there's some talk that that might be the way to go with this one. Um, and they are already sort of setting up how they're going to launch from one to the other. There's there's talk of Chadwick Boseman appearing as uh, Black Panther mm-hmm. in Captain America Civil War. So that's mm-hmm. that's one link uh, between, between the sort of franchises and, and, and the way that they're going to introduce people. Obviously, don't be surprised to see um, Captain Marvel, who is not yet cast, so don't expect to see her terribly mm-hmm. soon that we know of. Um, but she will probably appear in something before she uh, before she comes up in her own movie. I'm not quite sure which one though. Possibly Doctor Strange. Who knows? Possibly her Fighting. powers are kind of cosmic, but her 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 adventures tend to be Earth based. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't expect to see her in in Guardians or or Thor. I think she'd be a good link, though. Uh, I think Feige said on the at the um, at the press uh, presentation, he said that uh, they're interested in Doctor Strange as a way of opening alternate realities and parallel dimensions. Mm. It's very interesting to me. I don't know exactly where they're going to go with that character or what they're going to do, but to tie him in. But uh, some people were asking, "Where's Ant Man?" They 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 didn't announce an Ant Man too. You might notice they didn't announce any sequels in this, except for sequels to existing characters. Uh, I think Marvel are very much waiting and seeing with what happens. You know, mm. if Ant-Man doesn't do well or doesn't turn out to be that great, 
Uh, I think one of the reasons why Hulk hasn't had a solo movie is because since The Incredible Hulk is because that movie wasn't that great and didn't and wasn't that well received. Uh, so I think they're, they're just going to see what happens. Yeah, and of course we could see Ant Man in. Uh, further Avengers uh, adventures. I would be amazed if we didn't. Yeah, I would be amazed if we didn't. He'll be uh, he'll be in in some stuff as well. Some interesting things very very quickly. And I, I realize we're taking up a lot of time in this, uh, although I could take up a lot more time. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy moving forward uh, to the coveted May slot. Box office porn. Hello, uh, if you're playing the drinking game at home, is an interesting and I think uh, smart move. Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be uh, uh, it's going to close. I think with about 800 million worldwide. It's a bigger property already than Thor, which is really interesting. Uh, and especially if another certain character pops up in that, and it's a big part of that as well. Oh, my God. Uh, that's going to be a very, very big, very marketable thing. And I think with the addition of Downey uh, and Tony Stark to Captain America 3, Marvel and Disney would be looking for that to make a billion. I would imagine so. Minimum. Uh, and I think they'll be looking for Guardians of the Galaxy in that May slot to push on to a billion as well and th- which, and then Thor afterwards uh, it's going to be very interesting the idea that Thor 3 Ragnarok and with everything that implies and with Captain America Civil War and everything that implies it, it feels to me that they are setting up the scene for the Avengers as we know them to be scattered to the four winds by the time Thanos comes around in Infinity War Part 1 and my feeling is that they're moving towards a scenario where he turns up on Earth to find an Avengers team that is basically made of of lesser heroes, less yeah. powerful heroes, and uh, Bob from accounts. And hey, don't underestimate Bob. That guy Bob is terrifying is, with the is, slide rule. I thought it was Bob. Bob from was HR. in HR a minute ago. It's a different Bob. He just fired himself from moving. <laughs> he downgraded himself to accounts. <laughs> uh, do you downgrade to accounts? Accounts. Accountants are pretty happy guys. They're, you know, they you know they earn a lot of money and they get to do spreadsheets. It's a great job. But yeah. So he, he might turn up, knock the Ersatz Avengers out of the way fairly easily, and then the, the, the other guys who are battered and bruised and, you know, all over the shop have to come back in the next movie and, and, and with the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Inhumans and fight and it'll be a big movie. It'll be 17 hours long by my, <laughs> by my initial reckoning with 150,000 speaking parts. It's going to be interesting. We are looking at the potential here that the Star Wars series is going to be the smaller Uh, sci-fi galactic uh, story that Disney is telling over the next decade I'm really intrigued to see what happens to Star Wars Episode 7 no Star Wars film and now we have we have Star Wars films that have crossed the the magic billion dollar mark but only three re-releases no Star Wars film has ever hit a billion dollars in its initial release uh, I know Uh, the last Um, one was 10 years ago and I know inflation means that they would but uh, there was a dwindling appetite for Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones the fact that they were Total rubs had mm. you know something to do with that, yes. But if episode seven is great, the sky is the limit for that one. But if if it isn't, then it lingers around the uh, the, the the paltry eight hundred nine hundred million million worldwide mark. Then you may find, yeah, the emphasis might be shifted to uh, to Marvel, just in terms of its cultural impact as well. It's going to be yeah. really interesting. Well, just in terms of the scale potentially of some of this stuff, if you if you really do have. You know, if if you're right, and I think you might well be, that you know we we see all of these characters coming together with the Inhumans, with everybody else to fight Thanos and uh, by uh, Infinity War Two. Good God, that's huge! Mm. That and is huge. But also, my worry is it'll just be. I hope Infinity War Two is not just one long punch, battle scene. Punch, slap, kick, yeah. ow, my eyes. I, I really hope it's not. I really hope there's more to it. And uh, if they can, if they manage to, for example, keep Joss Whedon on, I'd be more confident. 
about that one. So we, we, we shall see. And also there's a sense of escalation. What do they do afterwards? Yeah. Literally, what do you do afterwards? What do you do when every character in your Marvel in your cinematic universe comes together to fight a guy to avert the destruction of the very universe itself? What do you do after that? It's not like they're going to stop. They're not going to stop. They go They'll to never Disneyland. Stop. <laughs> they go to Disneyland. They go yes. to a parallel dimension. They, with Doctor Strange and Bob from Accounts. <laughs> where he meets Bob from HR and it all kicks off. Bob from Accounts. <laughs> the movie. Are they not giving rather a lot away at the back end of Avengers 2 with all of this? Like, it, seem to, it seems pretty apparent what's going to no. happen in Act 3 of Avengers 2 now. I, I, I think I trust Joss Whedon to surprise us more than virtually any other filmmaker out there with that kind of stuff. I mean, admittedly, yes, people are speculating wildly about all sorts of different things, but I think they've kept enough under their hats. Well, you know, for instance, we can... there's a civil war and you've got Tony Stark and Captain America having a massive fallout. That's what we think is going to happen, certainly, because that's what happened in the comics. Who knows? But they came on stage and they were doing all of the sort yeah. of like fisticuffs to each other. So, well, well, we know that Captain America, Thor, Iron Man uh, survive <laughs> Age of Ultron. We know that much. Um, or but, come back yes. to life. Or come back to life or whatever. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of speculation. This, this Hulk and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 thing is just a speculation. It may not happen. Mm. You know, they could, e- they could just as easily kill Hulk in Age of Ultron. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I think there's lots of room for surprises. Yeah, there are. And there, there are also there are even, by the way, rumors out there. We were talking about you were talking about uh, multiple dimensions there with Doctor mm. Strange. There are rumors out there. Uh, well, let's say there are kind of wild speculation out there. Devin Faraci on Badass Digest um, speculated that uh, perhaps the DC universe is moving in the direction of an infinite crisis, mm. uh, where they have because given that they already are setting up multiple flashes that we know of. Um, that they maybe. actually made there may be a master plan and they're not there just making it up. There may be a master plan along. and they're not just making it up as they go along. In which case they're gonna look pretty darn smart yes. come twenty nineteen or so. Speaking of hoping they have a master plan and they're not making it up as they go along. There are some details on the new Terminator movie. Hang on a second. Are we stopping talking about Marvel? Let's a, do it. Oh god. That was a good Yeah. That was a good hat hour. Smooth segue. Thanks, man. So the movie of course is called Time in Niter Genesis. <laughs> Sorry, hang on, I got that wrong. Terminator. Terminator. It's an Irish Terminator. Geni- Let me help you with this, Ali. Go. Terminator Genesis. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so we have new Sorry. details from a, a, a magazine, which is not Empire, but they have some new details which I'd like to share with you, but they're slightly spoilerific if you're worried about what might happen in the fifth movie to do with Terminators. Yes. You may want to not listen for the next half a minute. What no, about this? Let's, let's, let's give it Marvel. Let's talk about this for the next three hours. Okay. okay. Genesis reportedly starts in 2029 with the war between the human rebels and Skynet's malicious machines in full swing. Uh, present character, although now played by different actors, are John Connor, Jason Clark, and Carl Reese, Jai Courtney, who are taking advantage of pushing back against the antagonistic artificial intelligence to send Reese again, that's Joe Courtney, back to 1984 on his mission to save Sarah Connor from termination at the hands of a killer cyborg. So that's kind of a story as we might expect it, right? Except, when Reese does make it into the past, things are different. Sarah Connor is not the same woman we met in The Terminator, played by Linda Hamilton, in an altered timeline. Again, there's different timelines, dimensions, zones, whatever. (laughs) 
She's portrayed by Amelia Clark and is an antisocial recluse who has killer sniper skills, mm. but little ability to interact with her fellow humans. Oh. And that's because, twisting spoiler alert, she was orphaned at the age of nine by a Terminator attack no. and has since been living with an ageing T-800, what? played by Arnold Schwarzenegger as a protector. Since she was nine, she has been told everything that was supposed to happen. Producer Megan Ellison reveals, but Sarah fundamentally rejects that destiny. That's not what I want to do. So, it gets worse. She refers to this ageing Terminator as... Pops. 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 Listen, one doesn't ever like to write something off sight unseen. But we're going to make an exception. (laughs) But uh, what? You know, listen, maybe it'll work brilliantly, but but it doesn't sound like the Terminator at all. It, it, It doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard of. Before. Which could be a good thing. Could be a good thing. And I think they're going to play with the original film and the tropes of the original film and the plotline of the original film in ways that hopefully we'll find interesting and refreshing and surprising. Does Danny DeVito turn up and help sort of babysitting duties? That would be amazing. John Weir from Facebook on our Facebook page has said, Genesis sounds like an X Factor girl group or possibly a team from The Apprentice. Not a bad point. Uh, somebody else is pointing out that there's <laughs> a picture of Spider Man going, huh? And the words, what the fuck is this shit? That has currently had 88 likes. Well, first of all, Spider-Man would never swear. So... Yeah. Those are just words by his head. That's been ruled null and void. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. How would an apprentice hard react? explain the name Genesis, do you think? Well, they did it's got the word system. Why, why are we pronouncing it like this? Is this that's that's how, how it's spelled. How it's, pronou- how it's pronounced. Do you, not, Genesis? do you not get the memo? Don't I get the memo? You didn't get the memo. Genesis. Yeah, is that- Genesis. Terminated Genesis. What are you talking about? That's how it's pronounced. What? what are you talking about? If they're going to spell it wrong, we're going to pronounce it wrong. All right, Chris. All right. If they're going to spell it wrong, we're going to pronounce it right. <laughs> to Timonator Genesis. Thank mm. you. <laughs> yeah, you know, let's let's keep hoping. Uh... It's got Matt Smith in it, who was Doctor, the yes. Doctor in Doctor Who. Hey, does Genesis start File Collins? Yeah. Do you think the tagline is, he seems to have an invisible touch? <laughs> <laughs> It's directed by... I don't Alan. even know what that means, but they don't know what it means either, so we're all good. It's directed by Alan Taylor from Thor The Dark World and also HBO's Game of Thrones. It's safe to say that the internet has gone absolutely shit-slinging ape-crazy about this one. In a... There's a picture of Matt Smith, there's a picture of Jason Clark. they're standing next to each other, mm. and behind them is an obviously photoshopped in Terminator with a massive death grin on his face. And I, I want to get behind this film... Yeah. If there are more Terminator movies, good. This doesn't seem like a good one. But of course, the uh, the fact is, Terminator Terminator Two, their legacy has been spoiled by mm. Terminator Three, which is largely dreadful. Terminator Salvation, which is entirely dreadful. Uh, a TV show, which was awful, uh, and just the TV been, show had its moments. It's been watered down so much. We're and so far away from a good Terminator movie now. Yeah. I would say. There's a sense also, we've talked about this in the podcast as well, that referred to the Terminator, referred to uh, the rights, sorry. The rights of the Terminator referred to James Cameron in 2019. He's confirmed that that's going to happen. Whether he does anything with it, it's up to him. But the fact is that uh, they're going to have to get these three Terminator films, if there's an appetite for a second and third beyond this one, they're going to have to make them very, very quickly. And it does have, it does have that feeling, doesn't it? It has that feeling of oh, here's something we can maybe squeeze a few drops out of yeah. quickly. I've got hope for Terminator Exodus. How's that spelled? The O is actually an O with an umlaut on the top. I'm just surprised. I'm just disappointed I'm... there's not a, a lol in the title. If they're <laughs> so... going to go for like text speak spelling, then go, might as well just go full lol. 
I've, I've forgotten what comes after uh, Exodus. Is it Deuteronomy or Numbers? I think it might be Leviticus. <laughs> I think it's Leviticus Infinity War Part 1. <laughs> well, that at least I'm looking forward to. <laughs> uh, listen, the, the thing to remember is we, we will always have Paris and also Terminators 1 and 2. And let's just try and keep them really separate in our minds from anything bad that follows. Yeah, that's so hard because I do feel we're writing this one off sight and scene. And it's, it's, we, it, but we're, we, we're not. We, we, we always be. hope. We always Sight, hope. There's always slightly hope. Seen. Sight, think, slightly seen, yeah. But it's really interesting, sorry Phil, that they're not putting on, this is EW's exclusive and, you know, well done to them. And it's, uh, Arnold is not on the cover. Now, is that because since he came back, about four people, uh, including Bob from Accounts, have gone to see his films and they haven't been very good. Is his star waning so much that the man who plays the Terminator is not on the cover of a Terminator uh, exclusive or are they holding it back? Well, but uh, but if, if that's the case, if his star is waning to that extent, why have him in the movie playing Pops? Surely what they've done here is essentially bent over backwards to accommodate a 60-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger in this Terminator movie. Mm-hmm. Um and if they felt his star was waning, then why would they do that? But just it, it, it's Terminator. Arnold says Terminator to me. If you have him in a leather jacket with his eye exposed, and even though he's got white hair, which we know he has in this movie, put him put him on the cover. Uh, EW, right? Have the exclusive, and I just want to say that there is a serious my T two dad vibe about the picture <laughs> on that cover. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. I really don't know what's going on here, and I, I disagree with you, Chris. I don't think we're judging this sight unseen. I think we're judging it on what we've been given to see and what we've been told about it, and it just sounds preposterous. But I do also feel like there's Prometheus had this problem a little bit, perhaps not as severely. So far away from a good a good t- Terminator movie, people True. out there don't care anymore, and I'm not sure that they really care enough about the Alien universe either to sustain this Prometheus vibe. So I don't know. We'll but, see. But. There was a tremendous amount of excitement for Prometheus before it came out, before people saw it. The trailers, the trailer breakdowns we did, mm. people lo- you know, people were going nuts for that. And every time we saw an image, it looked great. Prometheus looked fantastic. And this is being openly laughed at on the internet. My Twitter feed yesterday was filled with people going, oh, the Terminator is smiling, and then people were photoshopping him into other stuff. And But Prometheus sold itself really, really well, yeah. very cleverly. And this film isn't doing that. And also Prometheus had Ridley Scott, so it had a had that DNA. If I hear the expression DNA one more time about that, I'm going to go mental. Well, you just said it. I did just say it. <laughs> so, oh, God. Oh, he's gone mental. Oh, I'm not sure you're allowed to use the word mental. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe we, should, maybe we should cut it a bit of slack. I don't think so. I, I'm holding out hope this is going to be a massive success when it comes out on July the 3rd next year. And we get a spin-off called Robopop. <laughs> That's that's hope that the the movie turns out well. Good cast as well. Mm. And at the moment they're calling Matt Smith, who everyone is basically think, thinking, oh, he's a Terminator, right? Or another Terminator or something. They're saying he's a close ally of John Connor. Did you notice on that cover, though, that like the his sort of silhouette is exactly the same as the Terminator skeleton behind him? Just because he's got quite a prominent jaw and a, and a you know narrow neck. I swear to God, if you look, look at that cover again, he looks like... The Terminator just with some fr- flesh. I've met Matt Smith, and he actually has a cyber cyberdyne corporation stamp <laughs> on his neck. He is really well, There we go then. Really weird. He's also uh, carrying a paintball gun. Take a look. He is one interesting thing, uh, or you decide whether it's interesting. I'll say it, then you decide. Uh, is that you know James Cameron reinvented the wheel for Terminator Two. He came up with a liquid metal T one thousand, one of the great screen villains, one of the great ideas leaped mm. forward technologically speaking. And since then all the Terminator movies have done is basically just repeat that. You know, it's like just different just still a liquid metal thing, but you know, now it's a woman and now it's something else. I hope 
I hope that someone pushes that idea forward technologically again and just, you know, we have a villain who's not just composed of liquid metal. That would be my hope. Yeah, fingers crossed. Anyway, anything else? Yeah, I've got some news. It's exciting because you've got Paddington coming up, you've got the BFG. I'm hoping for a Trumpton, a live-action Trumpton reboot as well, but Childhood has been recreated. BFG, Steven Spielberg, has cast his big friendly giant and he's picked Mark Rylance. He's probably best known as, as the... The Shakespearean actor of our of our times, really, I would say. Him and Simon Russell Beale, two of the great stage actors. He is picking him to play the big friendly giant in his adaptation of the Royal Dahl story. And he's described him in the press release as a transformative actor. Mm. And he'll be transforming himself into a giant um, for this film. <laughs> so, that's, so that works out quite well. I'm really thrilled about this. Uh, I've, I've seen him on stage, darling, in Jerusalem, and he's he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. And he's also just, he seems like a really good fit for the BFG. I think he can do that sort of, you know, genial, um, uh, slightly downtrodden character brilliantly. He's working with Spielberg at the moment, isn't he, on something else? Yeah, the uh, untitled Tom Hanks uh, Cold War thriller, which I hope retains that title. You know he's not that tall in real life. What, he's not a giant? He's Actually, not a giant. Oh. You say he's a transformational actor. I saw him towering over Holborn the other day, so he's clearly... He's clearly in uh, some sort of method preparation for the role. He's now 70 feet tall. <laughs> is he? Yes, he is. How big are his ears? 30 feet. Was he eating? Was he scooping humans into his mouth? <laughs> no, the BFG doesn't eat people. He eats snozcumbers. Well, Spider-Man doesn't swear, and he was just uh, saying the <laughs> F word a few minutes ago. He's transformative. Forget what you think you know, people. Transformational. <laughs> Trans- Transformational. What does that mean? Why what do we mispronounce words in this podcast constantly? Well, I've never heard that before. Transformational. He's a transformational actor. He's transferring this from the script to a movie. Wow. I assume. Amazing. Another bit of news that's very exciting. Ben Wheatley, who mm-hmm. obviously probably won't be making any of these Marvel movies as a result, but he is making a film called Free Fire, which he has described as a modern 70s movie. A modern 70s movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be muscular, tough, and spare. Yeah, first American movie as well, isn't His it? His first American yeah. movie, and it's st- it's got a great cast. Now the premise is that um, it's set around a kind of slightly abandoned warehouse. There's a weapons transaction which goes horribly wrong, and I think that's really all you need to know at this point. It's got Killian Murphy and Michael Smiley. Ooh, um, good, good calls. It, yeah, Army Hammer. And Luke mm-hmm. Evans plays a critical role. Yeah, of course, who he's worked with uh, on uh, the recently wrapped High Rise. So clearly they had a good working relationship. Mm. It's tremendous. I mean, we're looking forward to High Rise as well, his J.G. Mm. Ballard uh, adaptation. And not to forget Olivia Wilde, who plays quite an important role in the setup. Things go badly awry, as they tend to do in drugs transactions in semi-abandoned warehouses. And he's referenced... Wheatley, that is, has referenced films like the classic noirs, like uh, Kubrick's The Killing, The Big Sleep, Asphalt Jungle, and some Sam Peckinpah as well. Okay, I'm glad that he's mentioned some noir as well because I'm I'm not I, I'm really excited about this. Let me let me be clear on that. I think Ben Wheatley's wonderful, um, but I'm getting a little bit excited about everybody talking about making 70s influenced thrillers. It does feel like that's become a, a bit of a thing recently to to say, oh, it's like the muscular thrillers of the 70s. Everybody says that all the time. I would like to see people make you know behatted and suited thrillers of the 40s. Uh, more often just because just for variety quite frankly but having said that that is not me even criticising this because I think this will be great carry on yeah no, I think it's going to be fantastic uh, he's extremely prolific Ben Wheatley even though he didn't have a cinematic uh, a movie released in cinemas this year of course he directed the first two episodes of the new Doctor Who with Peter Capaldi High Rise I think is going to be fantastic that will mm. be out next year probably around September time um, 
Yeah, very, very excited about this. Uh, and I just wonder where this leaves other movies he's been talking about as well, like Freak Shift, his sort of uh, Hill Street mm. Blues meets uh, Monsters movie, or or I Macrobane, which is sort of time traveling thing with Nick Frost and possibly Paddy Considine, which he's been talking about for a while as well. So, well, then again, he's so fast he could probably do all three of those before breakfast. Precisely. I mean, he's gone from what Down Terrace, which was made for like a bag of skips and fifty seven p in what two thousand. When was that? Well, it's 2000, not 2009, I think. Eight, nine, yeah. yeah. Uh, to this is a $10 million movie in the space of, you know, he's made so many films so quickly and he's prolific. And 2010. He's, he's 2010. And he is uh, a man on the move. So who's who's to say that, you know, Freak Shift, etc. won't be next up after this one? But might, this looks good. He might do him in his lunch hour. He could do. Could not do him in his lunch hour. Um, okay. One last thing before we move on. We are contractually obligated to tell you today. Uh, and delighted. And delighted. Yes. Which is not obvious from my voice. Uh, no, the new issue of Empire is now out. It was out yesterday, uh, the 30th of October. It's, oh, I'm holding it in my hands. It's got a nice heft, and so is the issue. It's um, transformational, Chris. It is transformational. It's a transformational issue of Empire. It is a cracking issue. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is on the cover. Uh, I don't know why I'm holding it up. Yeah, we've you all seen it. it. Uh, the Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1, is our cover feature, is our cover issue. Uh, Ollie Richards talked to Jennifer Lawrence and everybody involved with the movie to get the inside scoop on the third Hunger Games movie, the penultimate Hunger Games movie. It's very, very exciting. There's also great features. This really is a cracking issue this month. Uh, on Birdman, Alejandro G. Inaritu. He's dropped the Gonzalez. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? I have seen that, yes. He's now calling himself Alejandro G. Inaritu. Genesis. Um, you know, he can. Alejandro Genesis in Aritu. Yes. I think after making Birdman, he's allowed to do whatever he damn well wants with his name. Yes, so we got have a, a cracking feature in that one. Uh, it's a tremendous film. Um, all, and uh, yeah, we spoke to Michael Keaton, Mr. G, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, uh, yes, a feature on Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, Ridley Scott and Christian Bell talking about that one. You know, those guys, they, they like a bit of epic stuff, don't they? They're, yeah, two? they're both yeah. very funny, actually. Uh, Angelina Jolene's, um, notice here, her second directorial debut. It's interesting. Uh, that's what we're calling it in the contents, because, you know, it's a joke. Because oh. uh, she made a film, mm. Land of Blood and Honey, a few years ago, but it never came out. Not in this country, Not anyway. in this country, you know, no. It's, it's uh, gotten pretty good um, reviews elsewhere, but it just yeah. never got a UK distributor. It's meant to be fantastic. Uh, I believe it's in Serbian. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, in Serbian. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's been a, a difficult one to release over here. And it's very uncompromising and violent and brutal and all that sort of stuff. But her second film, Unbroken, uh, comes out later this year. Jack O'Connell starring in the true story of Louis Samperini. That's right. Um, uh, who was a uh, an Olympic sprinter um, who then went to fight in World War Two and was shot down over the Pacific and drifted in a, in a boat for quite some time before becoming a Japanese prisoner of war, which it's, it's one of those... Uh, stories that's just so unbelievable there's a great line in that feature actually explaining why they didn't put in the scene of him punching a shark which actually happened <laughs> they've had to actually tone down the story for the screen um, so it's it, that's, a, that's a really interesting feature I'd definitely recommend reading that one who knew who knew uh, also we got interviewed a fantastic profile of Gail Ann Hurd the uh, producer of the likes of obviously Aliens and the Terminator and now The Walking Dead she's the, the lady who brought The Walking Dead kicking and screaming 
and crawling and moaning to the big screen. There's a feature on Paddington which Phil wrote, very very funny feature on Paddington. Uh, we've got a great piece on the uh, the the Dollars trilogy, Sergio Leone's Dollars trilogy, and uh, the big interview this month is Sigourney Weaver. I flew to New York and spent an hour in the ladies' company, and uh, that was that was great fun. Uh, I also flew to New York this month for and to talk to Brad Burton, Damon Lindelof about Tomorrowland, and you can read that interview in there as well, along with an exclusive image and whatnot. And it's all it's all pretty cool. JC Chandor, most violent year, and. Jennifer Garner and the horrible bosses guys and this month's pint of milk is I should know this because I edit the section but I've forgotten Moore. Sir Roger Moore of course it is uh, he's great fun can I chirp in with some with some more roboty news um, Ex Machina we were on the set of we were on the which set. is exciting another big debut although obviously Angelina wasn't actually a debut Alex Garland's first film yes with a lot of Star Warsy people in it if you're interested and there's a new trailer uh, and poster I think on our website now so check it out fantastic uh you just mentioned that one because you love Alicia Vikander. Who doesn't? It's not true. Who doesn't? Right, so New Issue of Empire is out now. £3.99. You can't say fairer than that. Although, I just did. Weird. It's interesting. Mm. Uh, all good and evil news agents. And it's on the iPad and it's on other things as well, I think. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You should go and get it. It is. It, uh, it's a cracking issue. Cracking issue. Genuinely. <laughs> I can't help sounding sarcastic. <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, honestly, you're going to have to take about half the compliment. No, leave that in. That was genuinely going to sound No, I love it. I love it. keeping it all in. I'm keeping I this thought you said you'd gone to New York and spent an hour in the ladies. I, <laughs> yeah, I went to New York and I spent an hour in the ladies. I came out to go and with her and so I interviewed her. It just <laughs> seemed like not? the right thing to do. Three ninety nine. Go and get it immediately. You need this thing in your life. Right. That's just by covered everything in terms of news. Time now for our second guest. The brilliant Laura Dern is revered around these parts, not just because she's Hollywood royalty, the daughter of Diane Ladd and Bruce Dern, not because of her long association with David Lynch, and not just because of Jurassic Park, although those things do help. She came at the pod with recently to talk about The Fault in Our Stars, which is now on DVD and Blu-ray and all other things as well. And she was on absolutely fantastic form. She was talking to Helen and her resident Jurassic Parkophile, Nick Dissemlian. Enjoy. Okay, well, welcome to the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by Laura Dern talking about The Fault in Our Stars. Welcome. Thank you. So great to be here with you both. This is a, a book that's been a phenomenon and a film that has now been a phenomenon as well. It's something that's really kind of uh, exploded in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect if you just saw the synopsis on paper. It sounds incredibly depressing on paper, but it's actually a weirdly life-affirming uh, and encouraging story, I think. It really is. And I mean, for those of us who've been lucky to discover John Green, the writer in the book, you really get a sense of it, uh, knowing the book and loving it, what you're going to get from the film, which is uh, something with a very irreverent voice and an irreverent tone. Not only about this terminal illness with with which both lead characters have, my teenage daughter and the boy she falls in love with, but really toward grief in life. Um, that The film is really about how to find your way to gratitude regardless of what you walk through because pain is inescapable. Mm. Um, and yet there has to be some grace and joy through all of it. And uh, I, I just love the way John Green considers all of that and I think it is a gift for everybody. Is this really the first time you've played a mother? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you said I could cuss you, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could almost finish mother with something else. <laughs> I've been that kind of mother but not a real mom. I mean I was in the film Citizen Ruth I was a mother. Mm. I was pregnant with my fifth child while huffing paint. Mm. 
But yeah, this is my first other mother other than that mom. Wow. Well, going from Citizen uh, Ruth to, uh, I guess, just segueing to Alexander Payne, it's amazing. You and your dad have both worked with Alexander Payne now. Yes, Um, and we love him so much. I mean, he and I became best friends after Citizen Ruth, which was his first feature, and now his most recent Nebraska, which my dad was so gorgeous in, and it was so amazing to watch them work together. One fact which somebody told me uh, only about 10 minutes ago before I was coming up, which I didn't realize, was that Alexander Payne co-wrote Jurassic Park 3. He did. Let's put it this way. You know your friends are good friends when you aren't in a movie, and then they do a rewrite on it, and you're in a movie. Right. (laughs) Did you get him that gig, or how did that work out? Oh, no, I think he got me that gig. (laughs) I think they were like, shouldn't Laura come back and save the day? Uh, Well, Stephen probably was at the helm of that decision, but uh, Alexander and his writing partner, Jim Taylor, definitely cooked up fun for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, with Alexander, did you did you kind of advise your dad before he did Nebraska? Were you like, this guy's a good guy, you should work with him? Or was it just a matter of, oh, awesome, you're working with him too? Well, no. I mean, I think, um, you know, dad met him on Citizen Ruth and watched how incredibly collaborative he is and... You know, I was in the editing room a great deal on that movie. I mean, we were really a family. And so I think that was really inspiring to Dad. And, um, you know, being so close to me, it was this odd thing of, I think, having an intimacy with my dad, knowing me so well. And the first day uh, he was working on the film, he called me at the end of the work day. And he said, well, now I realize I'm making Citizen Ruth, too. Because watching your dad is like watching you, which I thought was Mm. so beautiful and talked a lot about our similarities. So it was cool for a filmmaker to work with both of us and and kind of see the emotional similarities. Uh He said, I've never seen two people play shame in the exact same way. That's what he kept saying to us, which I thought was really interesting. I'm still figuring out what it means. (laughs) Yeah, is that a compliment? Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure it's both. (laughs) Was it surreal watching Nebraska? Because I'm guessing you've been on a few road trips with your dad over your life. I have. My dad, when I was 18 and graduated from high school, took me on our first uh, father-daughter road trip to visit California State Penitentiaries and (laughs) ghost towns, which is so perfect. Like, if Bruce Dern's going to be your dad, of course he takes you to, like, a prison road trip. I was like, what? (laughs) He's like, yeah, I want you to see female prisons. And later I was like, Dad, why did you show me, like, the women penitentiaries? He's like, you're 18. I thought it was a good way to show you what not to do. Wow. Was that intimidating or what was your reaction seeing all that stuff? He's so irreverent that it was hilarious more than anything. (laughs) Um, But yes, Nebraska was an amazing thing to be part of. And I actually went for the last week of shooting in which they did most of the road trip scenes. And so I was with Alexander and the crew in the follow Winnebago, if you will, um, while um, dad was in the car. Which was really, really fun. <laughs> wow. So I, I'm just having visions of you now in Orange is the New Black, you know. In the <laughs> exactly. <women's> penitentiary. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've worked a lot with, and I mean, you mentioned it was Alexander Payne's first film, but you've worked with a lot of sort of first time and up and coming directors. And, and you, you seem to have a very good eye for them because they tend to go on to big things. So what is it that you look for in, in these kind of newcomers? Well, it's, a, it's an elusive 
question, right? Fe- having a sense of someone's ability. Um, but in the case of Alexander, he'd made a film at UCLA Film School, which I got to see, and you could see his genius and his wit in this film called The Passion of Martin, which uh, is pretty amazing. So um, it was that combined with the script, which was so radical and brave, and the part was incredible and written for someone very different than myself. It was like I was taking a risk and he was taking a risk. So we kind of leapt into the void together, um, which is a lot of fun. And I love that feeling of a kind of fearless, inventive, first-time filmmaker saying, I believe you're the person to play a role that no one's ever seen you do. And um, that kind of connection is really unparalleled um, and something I've gotten to have a few times, and I feel really lucky for it. Yeah, no, definitely. I want to ask about David Lynch. I'm a huge fan of Inland Empire. and That's so cool. I love talking about it because I don't get to that much. Yeah, and you're phenomenal in it. And I remember David's Oscar campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Can you describe it for those who don't know? Because it's insane. He was sitting in a lawn chair on the corner of in an intersection in LA (laughs) with a big sign that said, uh, Cheese makes dreams. Yes, yeah, basically. And And, and with a cow. With a cow. With a cow on a leash. And uh, yeah, it said, uh, For your consideration, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which was hysterical. Uh, But he was, I think he's so appalled by the commerce-driven aspect of filmmaking. And in every step of the way on Inland Empire, he wanted it to be accessible to anyone who wanted to make their movie. So he he said, we're going to make an independent film. And I started asking, well, if we're going to do it on digital, are you using the Alexa, what cam, the red, you know, all these new cameras at the time that people were using. And he was like, no, you're not getting it. The whole point is I want this to be a camera that any 17-year-old living in Tucson, Arizona can grab from their grandparents and go make their movie. If they've got a Sony camcorder in their house, they can make their movie. And then you instantly download your own movie. And if you want a press campaign, use YouTube, use Twitter. And this was now, what, five years ago, which was already kind of very new the idea of using the internet to promote a film um and he wanted it to be made for the amount of money that anyone could make a movie out of pocket and that was the attempt and you know for david lynch to say i want it to be crude i want it to be on this camcorder i want the sound to be off the mic off the top of the camcorder it's just gorgeous it's what makes him such a pioneer uh you know, reinventing art at all times. And um, I felt really lucky to be part of it. There was no script. He explained that there were several different storylines and a few leads, and I asked who else I'd be working with. And he's like, you, dumbass! I was like, what do you mean me? He's like, you're playing all the parts! (laughs) Which, you know, you just don't get that experience as an actor in your lifetime or a friendship like that. So I feel really really blessed to get to work with and know this amazing man i think until then war chip down had been the scariest film with st- involving rabbits and <laughs> <laughs> now the, the, you have brought the creepiest rabbits. It. yeah absolutely <laughs> but i'm just curious because uh, you're friends with david and i, I saw a video where you uh, brought him along to a, an edgar wright hosted screening of wild at heart yeah pretty recently so 
What's he up to at the moment? Is he going to come back and make a film? He's cooking. He's cooking it up. So I, I soon enough we will, uh, we will be witnessing the next movie. I think. Okay. And hopefully I'll um, be part of it. However, he tells me to be. No more rabbits, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll stay away from rabbits. It could get worse, dude. Let's not. Yeah, let's not trust that it's not going to get even scarier. Otters. <laughs> Otters. <laughs> Has he changed over the years since you first? Because you first worked with him in in the mid eighties, right? Yeah, on Blue Velvet, I was seventeen. He's changed only that he continues to sort of redefine to me what fearlessness is, Um, and he continues to pursue a world that need not be linear, and I find it extraordinary. I mean, I think he's really interested in plot-driven stories and he loves films and and filmmaking and you know rear window just like the next person or wizard of oz you know films that have meant so much to him but um but he also will kind of recreate what the medium is you know as online as a painter um whatever it is i i'm really uh blown away by him every day there's such a mystique around him it's hard to imagine him watching tv shows or my favorite moment recently was a late night call my nickname is the tidbit (laughs) a few of us have been lucky enough to get nicknames naomi watts has one too which is buttercup and once i learned naomi who's one of my best friends got a nickname too i was very jealous but i love her so much that i think it's totally appropriate she has one (laughs) um but I get this call and he goes, tidbit, the craziest thing just happened to me. And I'm thinking, you know, this is David Lynch. It's got to be really crazy. <sighs> and I said, what happened? He goes, I, I turned on the TV and I just saw the most insane thing I've ever seen, which also must be really <laughs> insane. I said, David, what is it? He goes, it's called... Real Housewives of <laughs> Beverly Hills. And it was like, it had totally blown his mind. That is a huge bombshell. Uh. <laughs> I just love the idea of him at 11 o'clock at night turning something on. And it's something even he couldn't have come up with. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Even trippier than Inland Empire. Yes. <laughs> Reality show has passed a whole new exactly. level. <laughs> Do you have a nickname for him? Tidbit. We're both you the tidbit. Both, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I want to quickly change subjects to a film that you probably don't get asked a whole lot about. Something you made in 1987, Grizzly 2, which is... It's a masterpiece, I'm sure. I just bring haven't our seen it. listeners up to speed. You haven't seen it? Apparently it wasn't released. But this <laughs> no. is a sequel about a killer grizzly bear. Yes. And do you remember your co-stars from that? Yes, I do. Uh, George Clooney and Charlie Sheen. And the three of us went to Budapest to make this movie and and barely ever left. I mean, I think we Pun got intended. there. Something happened. I don't know if there was a money issue on production or something. So we sort of waited around for like a month. And the three of us spent a month in Budapest just chilling and waiting for our, our big bear scenes. <laughs> that, that's incredible. Wow. Whatever happened to those two? I know. I know. Sweet, sweet guys. But. You know, it's hard. You do one movie like George. I, I thought he was so talented. I, I thought he would have a successful career, but Didn't um, out really. No. But actually is the sweetest, funniest, most fearless, wild, 
passionate voiced citizen. I absolutely love him. He's an amazing man. Mm. Is that did, did any of you get killed by the grizzly bear in the script or? Yes. All of you? I think all of us don't make it. Really? Actually, George told me that it, it, it exists somewhere. But I think the movie's only like 32 minutes long <laughs> or something. So hopefully we're safe. I really want to see it. Is, <laughs> Please don't. Is that, the most ra- is that the most random thing on your filmography? Yeah, pretty much. It's the only thing that uh, I've not seen or, or may not really be inspired by. <laughs> Or maybe I would be really inspired by it. <laughs> maybe. Um, I mean, you, you seem you've got four or five, I think, projects coming up at the moment. Um, so, I mean, are there any that you're particularly excited about? Because, you, again, you're working with really interesting sounding people. Jean-Marc Vallée for Wild sounds Which, like a really interesting film. It was amazing. He is an incredible director of... Uh, of great bravery and just the kind of filmmaker I dream to find and work with and reminds me a lot of Hal Ashby from what my father experienced of him and I witnessed as a kid and um, so inventive, so open, always using the camera every second he has um, in the editing room. He's like, I used everything we shot and, you know, of the stuff I did with, I mean, everything. He, he's just, oh, he's incredible and just such a lovely guy. And um, I did a film called 99 Homes. Just We just finished m- most recently with your beloved um, Andrew Garfield, who's just an insane actor. He's incredible. If England doesn't know this about Andrew Garfield. <laughs> Good hair as well. He's extraordinary with great hair. But I'm very excited to watch him and all the characters he will take on in his life on stage and in film and uh, feel really privileged to know him, adore him and work with him. Now, we spoke to you uh, last year for the Jurassic Park uh, anniversary. Yeah. But I'm going to ask you about it again. Go for it. Because we love Jurassic Park so much. How do you feel that about the fact that there is a crew and cast out in Hawaii right now shooting another Jurassic Park film? I'm excited. I'm curious. I'm hopeful it'll be entirely different, which is ultimately why they, I think, decided to go with a very new cast and make it its own. Um you know, it was one of the great experiences. Steven Spielberg is family to me forever. I love him so much, and I love him so much as a director. And uh, Close Encounters is and Jaws are, you know, top ten movies of all time for me. And so working with him was uh, extraordinary. We have to leave it there, I'm afraid. We're getting the wind-up sign, but thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, thank Laura. You. That was fun. Thank you so much. What an awesome lady. She is absolutely fantastic. And and of course, it does mean that we've had uh, both Ellie and Alan Grant uh, on the show in recent weeks. It does, doesn't it? So. Jeff Goldblum. Call open us. Open invitation. Yeah, you, can't, you Jeff, you've got my number, right? Ovs. Ovs. Of course he does. Uh, okay, time now to uh, talk about what's out this week in the movie plexes. Let's start. Cracking week. We've got... Am I right? I think we got two five-star films mm-hmm. this week. You are correct. Spoiler. Holy jeebus. So that started off with horns. <laughs> no. Um, that started off with Nightcrawler. Yes, shall we? please. Nightcrawler. Yes. It's not an X-Men spinoff. Uh, it's not a scary film, although it's released in Halloween. But it does feature Jake Gyllenhaal being all kinds of terrifying, doesn't it? It does. Alistair. He's a very unique kind of freaky deaky. He is a 
fascinating character. The name of the character is Lou Bloom, and I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of the plot. Please do. Uh, Los Angeles night drifter, so he's kind of a... You meet him essentially trying to pick up bits of metal, copper and wire and, and that sort of thing, to flog. He's to trying some, to steal them, basically. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to flog to, you know, some bloke he knows down the road. So he really is a drifter. He is truly a shyster. He just runs around, nick and chip, and uh, trying to get away with it. Now, he happens, as he's doing this, to be driving down the road in the middle of the night, and he sees his car crash on the highway he's driving down. And then he sees, very quickly after this car crash, Bill Paxton in a van jump out with a camera and his assistant, and they start recording this footage, and you see these policemen saving this man's life, and there's and there's blood and excitement and drama, and you're, it's, it's, it, he's just staring agog. He's one of those characters, Lou Bloom, who, who's in a scene and makes everything uncomfortable. He is uh, very socially robotic. He, he doesn't quite connect with the world as we know it. And he's there looking at this going, oh, what's going on? And then he realises that this Bill Paxton character, this this roving reporter, you might call him a journalist, but he's not, he's selling this money on. He's selling these tapes on. He's taking the footage, he's selling it to the local news. Like a TMC kind of thing? Yes, similar, but with accident, emergency, uh, fire, knife crime, like that sort of thing. Like that big, scandalous, shocking, tabloid scare, fear, worry, pain, all that sort of thing. If it bleeds, it leads is the is the big phrase in terms of whether it gets on the news and whether you get the big bucks. So he starts off in his car with a small camera going about trying to do the same and by hook or by crook by being a devilish devious methodical maniac he goes around and builds up a company Lou Bloom becomes this like new guy on the scene and, and, and does the most incredibly dark things to to make his career better and to make a life of his own Riz Ahmed who you might know from Four Lions mm. uh, is his assistant who is such a wafer thin twist on your palm plastic fish or total wimp but it's perfect for Lou Bloom's purposes he brings him on board mm. and becomes part of this two-man team and it's like Lou Bloom speaks in this incredible downloaded from the internet self-serving improvement speech he's like an apprentice contestant who actually is far more ruthless and actually kind of knows what they're doing but speaks in you need to put forward a new a uh, new quadrant and we need to reinvigorate the market and we need to you know if we speak to ourselves and know our goals and we achieve those goals we will come forth together and be a better more prosperous team and if you keep showing that kind of enthusiasm I may increase your pay packet by 2% but I will uh, speak to my superior officer which does happen to be me but I will happen to think about that and don't worry if you just keep trying we're going to get somewhere and you and I are building a brand and that's what matters and you know money isn't important anyway he's a fascinating devious somehow entirely believable man so this is written and directed by Dan Gilroy who's the brother of Tony Gilroy who obviously is a big got big Bourne affiliations he co-wrote uh, The Bourne Legacy this is Dan Gilroy again and also uh, Real Steel so those aren't too incredibly oh wow well this will be a perfect noir thriller in you know the darkness of LA modern LA starring Jake Gyllenhaal but there you have it that's mm. what you've got I came out this film reeling I was shocked and excited and thought I can't wait to see it again I am so glad we gave it five stars uh, it's up in my top ten of the year easily so far I think Lou Bloom is going to be analysed this movie is going to be studied I think it's really cracking stuff um, it mixes thrills with genuinely insightful um it deals with a topic that isn't often dealt with and it really helps you appreciate just what's happening to journalism right now yeah, it's a it's a it's a biting and and vicious satire of the media, or not even satire necessarily, um, but report on the media and uh, and deservedly so. It, it, it's 
he's kind of a millennial psycho, isn't he, with this relentlessly uh, positive, can-do attitude, which just leads him down the darkest possible paths. Um, if you want to win the lottery, you have to you have to make the money to buy a ticket. Kind of this thing, is yeah. Strange sort of take on the American dream. And just this unfailing smile, uh, which is far more unnerving than any any frown could ever be, uh, in particularly in his relations with uh, Rene Russo, who's the TV <sighs> producer, who both you know both uses and, and is used by him uh the, their power dynamic is is really disturbing um and uh it's a very it's actually probably the most disturbing relationship of the year that those two uh, very very twisted indeed uh but yeah it, it this is this is some dark territory this is not comfortable viewing by any means but it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal he's been on a roll the last couple of years i agree with you completely i think it's a terrific movie it's not one that you're going to come skipping out of, though. It's really bleak yeah. and depressing in some ways uh, and a pretty sorry reflection of society and the media and people, what they want to watch on the news. You know, there's a reason why if it bleeds, it leads, because people want to watch that stuff and it's pretty horrible to witness how that comes together. It reminded me a bit of Network. Maybe this is the mm. network for our media 24-7 news cycle era. Mm. And, you know, there's there's parallels between the Faye Dunaway character in that film and Rene Russo, who's great to see her getting a good role again because she's a terrific actress. There's King of Comedy here as well. And the King of Comedy, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And a bit of um, those early... Early Scorsese. Sat, uh, I've seen Taxi Driver. Yeah, used yeah, as a reference been point a lot, quite yeah. a lot. Uh, it was interesting when Tony Gilroy came in because he produced this film for his brother to do this screenwriting masterclass on the podcast. On the way out, I was talking to him about 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 this and asking him about because he got Robert Ellsworth, the great cinematographer, has shot this film and he captures the LA nightscape so mm. brilliantly. And he said that it was like having having a putting a Ferrari engine on the back of a sort of to- Toyota two door. <laughs> to have you know that caliber of dop on this film but i think he really you know he was being very modest because this is much more than a toyota of a movie i think it's not expensive but it's a it's got a lot to say absolutely i don't want to over uh, enthuse about it but please do go see it uh certainly one of my top 10 if you listen to the kind of crap i waffle on about this isn't the lego movie it's uh it's better than that but i am equally excited about you watching it and uh talking to us about it amen so one star then from that <laughs> sounds like, sounds pretty terrible, guys. I don't know. More like yeah. a shite five, five, oh. five, 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 five one star reviews. Five one stars. Wow. Yeah. Put them together. What do you get? You get five stars, which I believe is a recommendation. So do go and check out Nightcrawler. And while you're at the cinema and you've just checked out Nightcrawler, you might want to go see Mr. Turner as well, which is this week's second five star review, and is the latest collaboration between uh, Mike Lee, the great Mike Lee, and uh, Timothy Spall. The great Timothy Spall. Uh, it's a biopic of J.M.W. Turner, and I'm going to stop talking now and uh, fill the assembly and take you through it. Okay, will it be helpful if I started with a plot? Eh. Yeah. There isn't one. Okay, okay. great, let's Hooray. move on. So it's not really a plotty film. It's it's a, it's a, probably, loosely speaking, the final quarter of the great British painter, probably possibly the greatest of all British painters, after maybe Tony Hart, and his life. And no one really knows when J.M.W. Turner was born. His birthday is you know unknown so it's not you know that kind of life he's more of a it's a passing of the years and and it's such a good movie this i can't i can't sort of overstate it enough timothy spall is the is the sort of obviously the focal point of it and he was he won the best actor at can deservedly so i think if there's one area this film will polarize people it's the physicality of his performance i've spoken to people after i've seen it twice and i've spoken to people coming out of it and and they find his his mannerisms and his there's a lot of grunting in this film there's a lot of there's a lot of he 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 kind of 
internalizes like a dragon just a little burp of emotion will come out but it comes out in really weird ways it's a bit like kind so of he's a dragon who can talk he's not actually a dragon in this film <laughs> no he's not a dragon but you know what i mean when you know when there's just a puff of a puff of smoke rather than mm. the whole flame he's, he's a piglet for me and how does this fold into the rest of the marvel cinematic universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah well his power is <laughs> his his power is, is he, he attacks Everything he does is very physical, but he's not really able to articulate. It's such a fantastic, fascinating study of a man who internalizes so much emotion and it comes out sideways. He, he, does, he has this housekeeper, uh, Dorothy Atkinson. It's a little bit of a weird, if you imagine what Sherlock Holmes is like with, um, help me out. And Mrs. Hudson. Mrs. Hudson. It's, it's that kind of dynamic with a really strange kind of sexual strand to it and, and everything. He doesn't really even acknowledge her. It's a very very strange kind of relationship that he has with her she's played by Dorothy Atkinson Marion Bailey Mike Lee's real life partner plays the woman he does kind of fall in love with eventually and he's living these two parallel he's living these parallel lives but it's just a really fabulous beautifully shot by Dick Pope Mike Lee's long term cinematographer who lends a <clears throat> painterly eye to the whole oh, thing dear. sorry but it is beautiful there is one shot in particular when Turner goes into the, into the countryside on mm. the hillside and the camera pans and it looks it's shot like it is a painting and then you realise when you see him moving at the bottom of it that it's actually a, you know it's a shot a lot of the framing in this is just gorgeous you know lots of uh, shots against windows and just using the rooms to, to sort of like a picture frame themselves absolutely yeah. gorgeously put together it's not a film you could shoot like gorilla fan footage <laughs> style is it? it has to be beautiful and it, it gets the treatment and um, the characterisation I mean Timothy Spall is is the sort of the guy on the bonfire around whom all these fire, little firework performances go off you know Ruskin some people might find that that role a little kind of over the top perhaps the the the, the the critic and long-term supporter of Turner. This other painter, whose name I've totally forgotten, Martin Savage as Hayden, who's a, a painter that doesn't quite make it, who has this vitriolic relationship with the Royal Academy. But Turner in Spore's hands, and, and you know, Mike Clear's a little bit the same. He's sort of of the establishment, but kind of not. He's grounded, he's in this world, but kind of not of it. And, you know, people have drawn parallels between Turner and, and Lee, both great artists. And, you know, in this film, you see them both at their best, I would say. I really would like to uh, draw attention to the dad of Turner, William Turner, uh, played by Paul Jesson, who I loved. The relationship between those two is very... It's, it's sweet, I guess, but it's its symbiotic and there's, there's something really lovely going on there. This film, I'd also point out, is quite for the critics. I'm not sure how much this is going to fill out the seats, but it's 97% Rotten Tomatoes and it's a very respected, quite rightly so, masterpiece from Lee. It's a good point. This one cost, I think it's one of his most expensive. I don't think it's quite as expensive as Topsy Turvy, but it's up towards £10 million. It's got CG in it, hasn't it? It's got CG in it, yeah. I mean, he he would say that he's used CG before because everything's kind of in post-production. But this has a shot of the fighting Temeraire, which you'll know, of course, from Skyfall, um, which Q and Bond look at in the National Gallery, and you can too. And uh, he recreates that completely using CG. So the Marvel verse awaits. (laughs) The Marvel verse awaits. (laughs) Mike Lee's Captain Marvel will be coming in 2018. Is it 2018? That's right. Wow. Yeah. Set in Cricklewood. Yeah, exactly. We gave this movie five five stars. Red stars. Five lovely red stars. Do go see it. I think you're going to see Timothy Spall definitely nominated for Best Actor Oscar. You'd hope so. Check yeah, you really would hope. I don't know. I don't know whether Nightcrawler's going to get a push. Very enough. possibly. There's been a lot of chatter about it. So fingers crossed. Yeah. I think it's going to. I think it's been. Uh, well, we won't know until Monday, but I think it's been left to die somewhat at the US box office. That tends yeah. to kill. Um, chances as it's, well it's, it's tough and but he does have the physical transformation he's very gaunt and very kind of like stretched 
in Nightcrawler. I don't know. Maybe the discs and the Blu-rays that get sent out close to the time to the voters might do wonders. Mm. Fingers crossed. Yeah, he looks like Red Skull's work experience person, doesn't he? Red Skull's going, you need to really improve your positive neutrons in your brain, and when you get to the right space, you can become a better man. If you want a Tesseract, you have to buy a ticket to apply for it. Wow, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is expanding fast. It is, it really is. And any second now, it'll engulf this pod booth. <laughs> we'll all become part of it. Uh, right, okay, so we've had two big old five-star reviews. Ali still has a balloon under his jumper. I'm engulfing the, the podcast. Um, okay, so let's move on now to the, the third big release of the week, uh, which is Horns. Mm. Daniel Radcliffe and Horns, he's been on the podcast already. We like Daniel Radcliffe, we, we like do. him a lot. Helen. Hi. Oh, you're leaving it all to me. Yeah. I love this book. Uh, this is based on Joe Hill's uh, book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's very good. Uh, he, in general, is a very, very good writer. His other books, Nosferatu and Heartshaped Box, will also chill your blood. This is the story of a character called Ig Parish. Um, he is a, a sort of musician. Um, and he, about a year before this story begins, his uh, girlfriend, the love of his life, uh, Merrin, was brutally raped and murdered. Uh, she's played by Juno Temple. And he is the chief suspect, but nothing's ever been proven. He's not in prison or anything, but he is, everyone thinks he did it. Everybody. Like ben Affleck in Gone Girl. Exactly, very much like that. But after a night of hard drinking, um, and for reasons that initially go unexplained, Ig wakes up with small horns on his head and finds that people around him are suddenly beginning to confess their innermost secrets and that he has sort of powers to kind of compel them to act on their darkest sort of desires and the, so on. The power of Satan compels you. Kind of thing, yeah. Or is it Satan? Who knows? We don't really uh, know. Yeah, but it's his basically, he, he then decides to kind of use this power to, to try and find out who really was responsible for her death and, and you know, perhaps get revenge. So it's it's an interesting kind of setup. It's a little bit underexplained even in the book and the, the film sticks pretty close to the book. In fact, maybe too close. Now, I adore the book. That shouldn't be a criticism, but yet I think one of Joe Hill's strengths, like Stephen King, is that he's brilliant at creating character and place and internal monologue and giving you a sense of these people's lives and hopes and dreams and desires and all the rest. And that doesn't get translated to the screen here uh, properly or quite as well and so it doesn't quite work it it, it the, the story feels confused instead of complex it feels um, just a little bit inconsistent in its tone you know there's there's moments of dark comedy here but they don't quite hit, fit with the horror they don't quite fit with the emotion and it, it just kind of wanders and not again not necessarily the, the fault of the performers mm. um, Daniel Radcliffe as you'd expect is very good it, it just doesn't quite translate the book uh, or even just work as a film in the way that I think I would have hoped so we gave this two stars sadly but I, I personally mm. still think it's interesting enough that you should probably have a look but maybe just read the book instead read the book and then watch the film yeah do that yeah, yeah read the book if you like that story go oh, I wonder yeah. what they're done with it yeah. Yeah. okay okay good two stars then for horns um, also out this week is extraterrestrial which is a, uh, a, a, a as Jim, Kim Newman as Jim Newman says in his review is a cheerily obvious schlocker it's a, it's a uh, quite violent quite gory alien invasion flick which we gave three stars lots of probing going on let's put it that way yeah, a whole lot of probing going on and that's it for this week uh, join us next week for more film related fun We'll be joined by two of the stars of Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. We'll be joined by Anne Hathaway and Mackenzie Foy, the young actress who plays a young spoiler 
in the film. And speaking of Interstellar and spoilers, our spoiler special podcast for that movie will be out on November 10th and will feature interviews with Christopher Nolan himself and Jessica Chastain. Not to mention four of us, including James Dyer, who wrote the review, and uh, Dan Jolin, who was on set. Uh, be, we'll be sitting around discussing the film's grand scientific concepts in, in this manner. Um... What? Well, I think there was a theory uh, that... Uh, space, my uh, brain hurts! Basically, oh, exactly like that. Space! space. <laughs> Outer space! It'll be something like that. So that's going to be well worth a listen. Until then, uh, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Phil. I don't want to go. I mean, goodbye. You're going to have to go. Oh. Okay. It's goodbye from Ali. Uh, it's also goodbye from my baby. Bye-bye, baby. Oh, bye-bye, baby. Bye-bye, baby. Here it goes. Bye, baby. You're going to burst Oh, my goodness. You're going to burst oh. your balloon. It's a black balloon covering black. bats. Yeah. Well, oh. I'll be taking this back to this shop. That's something you don't see every day. Yeah. Well, that's a bit of audio fun. A bit of audio fun for you there. I thought you were going to burst it on the, uh, on the air. Do you think? Yeah. I think it might pop into the microphone. Okay. Mm. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to read the cliff notes for a brief history of time in anticipation of next week's Interstellar Spoiler Special. It's called A Brief History of a Brief History of Time which is a strong joke to finish the podcast with. That was told to me by Bob from the Jokes Department. See you next week.